I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. As you're turning there, I want to thank you. Those of you that have prayed for me this week and encouraged me and supported me as I prepared to preach to you this morning from Psalm 98, uh, do that every week for your pastors and your preachers. There's anything more important than you can do for us than to pray for us and encourage us, and, uh, and we certainly do appreciate it. Psalm 98 is what we're going to be looking at this morning, and before I read the text, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. What's the song that you're singing this morning? What's the song that you're singing this morning? And by that, I mean to ask, what is the thought or attitude that generally shapes your outlook on life? What's the thought or outlook that characterizes the things that you experience each and every day? What's the lens that you see things and experience them through? It is very likely that I'm not the only one that has sung a song that I did not choose and that I did not like. There are likely some of us here this morning that find ourselves in that same condition. There are a lot of different songs that we may be singing. It may be that you're crushed with guilt and you just simply cannot believe that the Lord God has forgiven you of the sins that have generated that guilt. Or it may be that you're burdened with shame for sins that have been committed against you, guilt and shame. Maybe you're being crushed under the weight of remaining corruption and wondering, can God really love me? Maybe that's your song. How about fear? Fear of failure. Fear of man. Fear of death. How about fear of finally and ultimately falling away from the Lord Jesus? Is there anybody here this morning that's singing the song of hopelessness over besetting sins like envy and lust and covetousness? Is anyone here that's singing the song of chronic despair and despondency just over the circumstances of life? Do I need to go on? There are other songs, but do I need to go on? I don't think so. There are a lot of old songs in this room. There's probably not less than one old song for each and every one of us. But I want you to know that the purpose of the sermon this morning is this. To clearly and simply show from the Bible that the people of the Lord Jesus have a new song. We have a new song to sing, and we have the liberty to sing that new song that God has given us. It's my prayer that every Christian here leaves with full assurance from God's Word and God's Spirit that you have the liberty to sing that new song, a song that glorifies our Lord Jesus. Listen, we sing that song. I want you to leave with the confirmation in your heart by God's Word and God's Spirit that you can sing that song. You have the liberty to sing, my brother and sister in Christ. Not just to listen to others sing it, not just to hum it, not even to whistle it, but to sing it loud and strong. Not because of what we've done, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what He has accomplished. And I propose to show you that truth from Psalm 98 this morning. There are three things in the text that I'd like to point out. Number one, in verses 1 through 3, the Lord has accomplished salvation. In verses 4 through 6, we'll see that the Lord is worthy of praise. And in verses 7 through 9, we'll see that the Lord will accomplish judgment. Now read with me as I read from Psalm 98. Hear the word of God. O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. 
The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. This is the Word of God. May He bless the reading and the preaching of His Word this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are grateful and thankful for the text that we have before us this morning. Father, we thank you that you have intervened in the lives of many of us here with your grace and that you have given us a new song to sing. Would you please, Father, bless the reading and the preaching of your word this morning for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the good of his people. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm begins with the people of God being told to sing a new song. It was a very common thing for the Israelites to sing songs to the Lord when he intervened on their behalf. I think of the song of Moses after the parting of the Red Sea. I think the song that was sung over David's victory uh, over Goliath. I even think of Mary's song of praise when the angel told her that the child that she conceived in her virgin womb was none other than the very child of God. When God intervenes on behalf of his people and he delivers them. Well, that's the circumstance that we see in our psalm this morning. It's a song that blesses God for intervening on behalf of his people and delivering them. And it's thought by some that maybe the author of this psalm is David. He may have been. We just simply don't know who wrote it or specifically what deliverance is being commemorated here. But what we do know, what we do know is this, is that the language in this psalm echoes language from the book of Isaiah. So much so that some have even suggested that Isaiah may be the author of this psalm. We know that this psalm echoes language from the book of Isaiah and speaks of Israel's Messiah and deliverance and judgment. Now that alone makes it prophetic. And in addition, there are a multitude of New Testament texts that indicate that the theme in Psalm 98 finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, with scriptural warrant from the prophet Isaiah... And from the New Testament, I intend to preach Jesus Christ crucified to you this morning from Psalm 98. And I pray the Lord gives you liberty in your spirit to sing the new song. Our first point we find in verses 1 through 3, the Lord has accomplished salvation. The Lord has accomplished salvation. Look at me at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. We, the people of God, are to sing to the Lord, our covenant God. We're to sing a new song to him. Why? Well, because he's done many marvelous things. He's done many marvelous things. But there are none that are more astonishing, more wonderful, more incredible, more supernatural, or more miraculous than his salvation that the Lord God has worked. Not even creation. Look around, through the microscope, through the, through the telescope, there are many things to be seen that God has accomplished in creation when he spoke everything into existence that there is. 
But note the contrast. In Psalm 8, which David did write, by the way, David observes the heavens and he attributes the creation to them to the work of God's fingers. You want to know how difficult it was for God to speak everything into existence that there is? David tells us under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit in that, uh, uh, in that language of imagery there that God created everything that there is and it's the work of his fingers. But here we read that salvation, salvation was the work of God's right hand and his holy arm. Contrast and compare the difference in the strength of your fingers and the difference of your dominant arm and your dominant hand. So not so salvation. The psalmist here attributes that to the right hand of God and the holy arm of God. Now, that language should sound familiar to you, God's right arm, God's right hand. Jeff, just recently in the sermon series on Advent, showed us from Isaiah 52 and 53 that this language is not an oblique reference. It's not a shaded reference. It is a direct reference to Jesus Christ. The Lord has ultimately accomplished his salvation, even that which is referred to here in Psalm 98 this morning, through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you an elementary question. What is salvation? What is salvation? Well, as broad as context, salvation is when the Lord interrupts the natural order of events and delivers and rescues his people from ruin, disaster, and destruction. That's exactly what he did at the Red Sea, wasn't it? Think anybody was standing there and expected that rascal to open wide up and be dry ground to walk across? I don't think so. God saved him. How many folks do you think were laying down bets on David when he went up against Goliath? Not a whole bunch. I imagine the odds were stacked against him. God delivered his people through the Red Sea. God delivered David and his people against Goliath. And certainly, in the case of Mary, God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, conceived the Christ child in her virgin womb. God saves and delivers his people by intervening in the natural order of things. Now, I want to talk to you about the natural order of things in the life of every one of us who was conceived in our mother's womb by an act of an intimacy between she and our father. This is what I'm about to tell you is true of every one of us. There is no exception. This is the natural order of things for me and you, for all the descendants of Adam. We are living on an earth cursed by God as the result of Adam's original sin. And we're suffering the effects of that curse, including heaven, having inherited Adam's fallen nature. We are by nature. In other words, naturally. Our natural condition is this. We are spiritually dead. We are hostile to God. We are separated from God and we are unable to please Him. This is the natural order that I speak to you about. By nature, we are under His condemnation and His wrath. And unless the natural order is interrupted by God, Unless the natural order is interrupted by God, men die in their sinful conditions and they will be judged in righteousness and equity and they will receive exactly what they deserve, exactly what I deserve, exactly what you deserve. Unless God intervenes in the natural order, they will get what they deserve and the Bible tells us they will be cast into everlasting physical conscious torment where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
That's what I have to look forward to. That's what you have to look forward to. That's what every woman and man child have to look forward to unless Almighty God interrupts that natural order by His grace. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We read those words specifically in the third psalm in the second chapter of Jonah and other references as well. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord that worked salvation by himself. He doesn't need me, and he doesn't need you, and he doesn't need any theologian or committee or denomination to help him work salvation. The Lord worked salvation, and it is his. The text tells us that he worked it for himself. In other words, for his own purpose. You understand? God works salvation for his own purpose. It belongs to him, and it is. Salvation belongs to God, and it is his to do with as he wills. It's not for me to dictate. It's not for you to demand. Almighty God does with his salvation as he wills, as he purposes. Now, ultimately and finally, what is the purpose of Almighty God in salvation? What is the purpose of Almighty God in salvation? The Bible answer to that question is this, to glorify Himself. To glorify Himself in the salvation of those whom He chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. The purpose of Almighty God in salvation is to glorify Himself in the salvation of those whom He chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us that He chose us, God chose us in Christ, the Father did, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. My brother, my sister, have you ever wondered why did God choose me? The Bible answer to that is because it was in accordance with the purpose of His will. For this reason, to the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. Praise God. The Lord has accomplished the salvation by, of His people by His right hand and His holy arm, Jesus Christ our Lord. He has delivered us from His wrath and the everlasting damnation that I so richly deserve and that you so richly deserve. He has delivered us from the iniquity that we inherited from our fathers. He has delivered us from the transgression of our own personal rebellion against a holy God. And He has delivered us from the sins of of our failure to obey His righteous commands. God has saved us. He has delivered us from our iniquity, from our transgressions, and from our sins. He has accomplished salvation for us in Jesus Christ, and He did it at the cross. For our sake, God made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. There it is. There it is. The virgin-born Son of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, substituted Himself for His people. He became our sin-bearer and was made to be sin for us. 
He bore the wrath of God against our sins. Our sins were punished in Him and on Him at the cross. His blood satisfied the wrath of God against whom we have sinned. The vengeance and the justice of God against our sin was fully and completely satisfied at the cross. It is finished. The everlasting consequences of our sins are gone. The Lord Jesus experienced death for us under the curse of the law, but praise God, He did not stay dead. On the morning of the third day, He arose with the same body in which He suffered. And in the weeks that followed that, He was seen by upwards of more than 500 of His disciples, and then ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where He is seated on the throne, and lives to make intercession for us, my brother and sister, and from where He is coming again to judge the world in righteousness and in equity, come Lord Jesus. His victory at the cross defeated every enemy that was arrayed against us. Our own sins, the world, the flesh, the devil, the separation from God, the guilt and the shame and the fear and the hopelessness have been dealt with. We are free to sing a new song and to serve Christ. Serve Christ. He redeemed us. He reconciled us. He forgave us. His resurrection justifies us. He made us the sons and the daughters of God. And the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. We're not just forgiven. We have been declared innocent. And God has made us as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. We live in Him and His Spirit lives in us. He is the head. We are the body. He is the groom. We are His bride. We are in union with Him. We are in communion with Him. And the eternal life that Jesus Christ is, is our life by God's grace. Praise God. See what kind of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Amen. Free from guilt. Free from shame. Free from fear. He is our hope. He is our righteousness. He, Jesus Christ, is our liberty. Sing the new song. Christians, we are free to sing the new song. Verse 2 tells us that the Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The salvation of God is a mystery. It simply means that it's a spiritual truth that cannot be known unless God chooses to reveal it. It cannot be known. Salvation cannot be known unless God chooses to reveal it. Paul confirmed that when he said this to the Corinthians. He said the natural person, the natural person, the unsaved man, the lost man, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The salvation of God is a mystery. Those who understand it are those that God has revealed it to. Now, according to the Bible, all men everywhere in all ages know from creation that there is a God 
and that he is all-powerful. But there is no salvation in that knowledge alone. It does not matter how men live their lives. Let me say that again. It does not matter how men live their lives or how diligent they may be to maintain the precepts of the false religions that they have imagined in their own fallen minds. They are bound for hell unless and until they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God gives them life. Praise the Lord. He has made his salvation known to the nations through the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just to the Jewish nation, but to all the nations, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. My brothers and sisters, we have been blessed with the high privilege of being made the sons and daughters of God by His grace. Amen? But with that privilege comes responsibility. With privileges come responsibility. And with the privilege of being made a son or a daughter of the Most High God, there is responsibility. We have the responsibility to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus sent His apostles, and in turn, us, he sent us with authority. You understand, you're authorized to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to come up here. You're authorized to preach it at home to your children. You're authorized to preach it at work to your co-workers. You're authorized to preach it at school to those that you run into in between classes. Every one of us. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is what God uses to interrupt that natural order in the lives of men and women and boys and girls like me and you that have sinned against a holy God. And it's the only message that there is. There is salvation in no other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. The Apostle Peter said, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He said, there's no other power for salvation. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. To who? To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We have a responsibility as the sons and daughters of God to preach the gospel. Under the command and the authority of our Lord Jesus, under His command and by His authority, each one of us have the responsibility to proclaim the gospel as we go through this life. We are to proclaim it not just in our house, but under the ends of the earth, to the least and the last and the lost, to the high and the mighty and the powerful, near and far. We're to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who love us and those who hate us. And when we have planted the seed of the gospel, we have the responsibility and we have the authority to water it with our prayers daily and to call on the one true God to remember His mercy and faithfulness and ask Him to bless it and to cause it to grow and to send His Spirit to give life to another sinner just like us for the glory of Christ, for the growth of His church and for the good of their souls. That's the first point. The Lord has accomplished salvation. Our second point is found in verses 4 through 6, and it's this. 
The Lord is worthy of praise. The Lord is worthy of praise. What is the Christian's proper response to the truth that's found in the first three verses of Psalm 98? We find it in verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. You understand that? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Interestingly enough, that joyful noise, that's what all of us that can't sing do. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'm one of you. If, uh, if there are any else of you out there, we're to make joyful noise. The word means to shout for joy. It doesn't mean to mumble for joy. It doesn't mean to hum along under your breath. It means to shout for joy. We're to make a joyful noise. We're to break forth, break forth into loud joy and praise of our God. To sing loud with joy in our heart. So, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, there is not a single thing that I can think of that blesses my soul. Well, maybe you're this way. I've heard people comment on this to me on numerous occasions. When you come to church at Midtown Baptist Church, one thing that you can count on, and that is we're going to sing praises to the Lord Jesus, and we're going to sing them together. Thank you, Jake, and thank you to all of our musicians that come regularly and consistently, practice, prepare, and do the things that they do so that I can stand and sing praise to the Lord Jesus Christ where the method does not outweigh the message, but where the message is consistent with the scriptures and where I can take even my poor voice and blend it with those brothers and sisters around and we sing the same song to the Lord Jesus and it is beautiful in my ears. Jeff has mentioned on more than one occasion that it's just difficult sometimes when that last song comes to stand up and come up here. There have been times, just as he said, in my life as well, that I think, I can't do it, Lord. I can't get up and go. And then I listen to somebody sing next to me and the one ahead of them and the one that's to the right of them. And God encourages me with that. The congregational singing that we do here encourages my soul. And I trust that it does yours as well. That's what this is meant to be. We're to come together and we're to sing praise to our resurrected Lord for the salvation that he has provided for us. And we sing to him loudly. Look at verse 5 and 6. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. I say this respectfully, but this tells me that the praises of men's voices alone is not sufficient praise for our gracious God. The praises of men's voices alone is not sufficient praise for our gracious God. We are called here to employ our voices and instruments and music to praise our glorious God. To praise Him with everything we have and all the talents that we have and all the instruments that we have to praise our glorious God. We are to assemble together and praise Him. In the Old Testament, the people of God would assemble. And Jake, do you play the shofar by any chance? The old ram's horn over in the Old Testament. They would blow horns and they would blow trumpets in order to signify the presence of the Lord their God. They raised a ruckus, folks, to celebrate the presence of the Lord their God. We should be aware always that by coming together, on Sunday mornings and playing music and singing hymns and blending our voices to one another that we are coming into the very presence 
of the Lord our God. We are praising Him and thanking Him and worshiping Him. And it should always be with joy. May every time we come together and sing to our God, may our hearts be full of joy and may our songs be full of worship and thanksgiving and praise. That's point two. The Lord is worthy of praise. My last point is this, and it's found in verses 7, 8, and 9. The Lord will accomplish judgment. The Lord will accomplish judgment. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and so does judgment. Judgment belongs to the Lord. Every one of us, I think, at one time or another, has asked either out loud or under our breath, Lord, how long? How long? How long, Lord? How long will the evil and the injustice in this world go unchecked? Will there ever be justice? I've asked that question. Bet you have too. But it's not just me and it's not just you. The Bible tells us that even creation, even creation itself groans under the weight of the curse that God placed upon it as the result of Adam's rebellion against him. We read in that holy chapter of Romans 8 that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Did you get that? The day is coming when even creation itself will be set free from the bondage and corruption that obtain now. It will be set free under the freedom of the children of God. Children of God, you understand you have freedom in Christ Jesus, right? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Something that just struck me about that is this. Paul did not say that complete our redemption and set us absolutely, totally free from all sin and place us in the presence of the Lord is not death, it's birth. Creation even though it groans and even though it is in anguish, is not likened unto death. It is likened unto the pangs of childbirth. The process has begun. It is irreversible and it is irresistible. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He is bringing righteousness. He is bringing judgment. And one day justice will obtain. Praise God. That's good news. That's good news. Are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord Jesus to come? Verse 7 and 8 tell us, Let the sea roar in all that fills it, and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. Is that poetic imagery? Well, you bet it is. Of course that's poetic imagery. Someone has well said this. They said that no language is too strong or poetic imagery too high to point out the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that includes his role as the righteous judge 
and the executor of judgment and justice. Hear me now. Hear me. Judgment belongs to the Lord, and He will accomplish it. You may not know this. Most of you do. There's some folks out there that don't like the concept of God's grace being irresistible. Now, if they don't like irresistible grace, they ain't going to like irresistible judgment. The judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes will be absolutely irresistible. He will accomplish what He comes to do. Verse 9, For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The Lord Jesus is coming in power and glory. He is coming in power and glory to judge in righteousness and with equity. When we think of the Lord Jesus, we often think of the nativity. We think of the virgin conception. We think of the stable. We think of a sinless life. We think of a vicarious, substitutionary, penal death on the cross, an atonement for our sin. How often do we think of him as the lion of the tribe of Judah who is coming to execute God's vengeance and justice and judgment on this world? It is he and he alone that God has appointed to do that. We read in Acts 17 that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising that man from the dead. You know who that is. That's Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the judge of all that there is. We read in John chapter 5 that the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, and He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul tells us that God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Make no mistake, the Lord Jesus Christ is the judge, and He is the executor of the judgment. The Lord Jesus is coming visibly and gloriously to fulfill the promises of God and to remove the curse that sin brought upon man and the creation. That's good news, my brother and sister. The Lord Jesus is coming visibly and gloriously to fulfill the promises of God and to remove the curse that sin brought upon man and creation. We read in Revelation chapter 19, the Apostle John said, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm a grace preacher. That's distinguishing in some ways from a lot of fellas that don't understand or don't preach the grace of Almighty God. You get grace preaching here at Midtown Baptist Church. There's not anything that is more important to me than stand and declare to you the grace of Almighty God and the salvation of men. It's all of God, it's not of man. It's not free will, it's free grace. 
It's God's mercy. It's God's love. It's God's grace. You didn't contribute a single thing to your salvation, nor did I. We serve a very gracious God. He gave his only begotten son in order that he might make us the sons and daughters of Almighty God. For the last seven or eight years, I've had the privilege of attending a Pastors of Grace conference at a little bitty Baptist church up in Van Buren, Arkansas. Get to meet with 30 or 40 guys that just old country boys like me that believe in the grace of Almighty God and the salvation of His people. We preach grace. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Absolutely true. But now hear this. On that day of judgment, on that day when the Lord Jesus Christ appears to judge with righteousness and equity and bring the justice and the vengeance of God on an unbelieving world, there will be no grace. And there will be no mercy shown to unbelievers on that day of judgment. Does that get your attention? There will be no mercy and there will be no grace shown to unbelievers on the day of judgment. They will get justice and it will be administered with the iron rod of righteousness. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I would conclude the sermon today with a question to you. I started it with a question. I'm going to finish it with a question. The question is not, do you have a relationship with Christ? If you've been through some poor witnessing training, they taught you to approach people and ask them if they have a relationship with Christ. That's the wrong question. Everyone has a relationship with Christ. Everyone in this room has a relationship with Christ. He is either your Savior or he is your judge. My question to you this morning is, is he your savior or is he your judge? I think you know the answer to that question deep in your heart. My brother and sister in Christ, he is your savior and you have a new song to sing and you have the liberty to sing it loud. The song of the redeemed. Christ has taken your sin and guilt and shame and punishment and he's put it away once forever. We need never fear or be hopeless again. Meditate upon that spiritual truth. And ask the Spirit of Christ to work in you to begin to live a life that is befitting for the sons and the daughters of God to live. And ask Him to fill your mind and your heart and your mouth with praise to the God of your salvation, Jesus Christ our Lord. My lost friend, My lost friend. It brings me no joy to tell you this. And it pains my heart. But my lost friend, I want you to know that you are but one heartbeat from everlasting damnation. Christ is your judge even now. And I pray that the question on your mind at this very moment is... What must I do to be saved? The Bible answer to that question is found in Acts chapter 16, and it's simply this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. I urge you, my lost friend, I urge you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Do not neglect so great salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we...